Um, friends, stand with me for a second. And just readjust whatever you need to. Because we were sitting for a little bit, weren't we? Calisthenics. Oh. Let's get it done. All right, when you're ready, you can sit down. Whenever you feel like you've stretched enough, take your time. <laughs> so when I think about who I want to be, when I think about life and I think the kind of person I want to be, I want to be strong. I want to be fruitful and I want everything I do to have success, honestly. I want to be flourishing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be weak and fruitless and a waste. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just want my life to be strong. And when I was praying about it, I felt the Lord show me an oak tree. That is not something my brain understands because I'm from the tropics. So it was a weird, and I didn't know it was an oak tree. I just saw this big tree. And then I had to later go search and I was like, oh, it's an oak tree. So do you guys know what an oak tree looks like? If you don't know, Google it real quick so you can put it in your mind. Okay, so oak trees are like big and strong, really wide trunk and these strong branches. And what I saw of this tree was like established. You know what I mean? Like just so strong. And it was like if a storm would come, the tree would be like, eh, no biggie. You know, because so established. And this tree had a swing hanging off and in its branches were um, nests of birds and animals. And in its leaves, there was protection. Do you know what I mean? Like this tree was a hub of life, right? And it was me. I was that tree. But the Lord said, you have to know that that tree doesn't think, I would like to hold a swing. That's right. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to develop a fantastic swing branch. Right? She didn't think that. She didn't go, I'm going to put all of my energies to making a straight one. You know, like the perfect swing branch. I'm going to put all my energies into it. There it is. I'm going to go to seminars and read books. I'm going to like work out all the dynamics of having that perfect swing branch. Trees don't do that, right? What do trees do? Roots down, branches up. Simple. That's it. They don't do anything else, really. I mean, we could go into like leaves and chlorophyll and all that, but you know what I'm saying, right? Roots down, branches up. And I felt the Lord say, you're so focused on the work of your branches. They're the things that I do in life, the hats that I wear, right? So it's the work that I do is a branch, and my friendships are branches, and my family is a branch, my parents, my sister, you know, my kids, my husband, like I have all these branches that are things that I do, and I'm focusing on branch life. I want to be a really great employee. I want to develop my skills and be really successful at what I do, right? Branch. Nothing wrong with that. I want to be a fantastic parent. I want to have all the resources, and I want to do a great job. Seminars, <laughs> books. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there is a lot of content. We live in an era of content, don't we? It's like you could read and read and read and still have barely scratched the surface, and they're all branches. It is so much work. And I felt like the Lord said, if you develop a branch, your other branches will wither. 
and when branches wither, you become really unbalanced. So you're holding a swing, and that's awesome. You've got the parenting branch working real well. Meanwhile, your work's falling apart. <laughs> your friendships are not happening. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when we get branch-focused, we get way off track, super unbalanced. There is nothing wrong with books and seminars and experts and calling friends. And, do you hear what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with those things. However, <laughs> if you don't grow roots down, you have no nourishment, no real direction, and when a storm hits your life, a series of hot days, a cold snap, whatever it is, your tree, what happens? Dies. Without roots, there's no life at all. So get that picture, it was this amazing tree, and it felt like a warning from the Lord for me. Does that make sense? It was like, okay, I want to be strong, but I'm hearing you say the way to be strong is not to focus on being strong. It's focusing on two things, roots down into relationship with God and a life that springs up in worship. And other things, I love books and seminars and experts, I love them but they're not my God. God is my God. They can frost my cake, but they're not my cake. Do you know what I'm saying? That's two metaphors. We'll go back to the tree. Okay. When you are focused in that relationship down and life springing up, you can easily add a swing and read a book. That's no problem. Do you know what I'm saying? But you've got to get the um, first things first, right? Roots are important. Growth up is important. They always stay important. That tree never changes her focus, right? So, um, Jesus describes it like this. So, you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me, to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. I love that line, you guys. Fruitfulness will stream from within you. Doesn't that sound like roots down, life up, and fruitfulness just streams from within you? That does not, to me, sound like unending books and seminars and Google searches. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? There's something different that God has for us. So it's a great metaphor. Do you like my tree metaphor? It was God's. I can't take credit for it. It's a good one, right? Here's the problem. I'm not a tree. I'm a human, and he is not soil. He is spirit. And I would love to send you home with a bucket of soil today and go, all you need to do to be strong in the Lord is to soak your feet in the soil an hour a day. That's it, grow your roots down, branches up. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could be like, here you go, this is how you walk it out. But it's not. So how do we actually do this? We're not trees. We can't grow roots. This is ridiculous. It's just a metaphor. What does real life look like? What does it mean to be in life union with him? Practically. Is that okay? We're going to talk about that. Sound good? Okay. Kimberly Jackson's praying. Awesome. Thank you, Becca Joe. Thank you, Kimberly. You know what to do. Do the things. <laughs> Lord Jesus, Father God, as we pray for Justine earlier, that we would pray that her voice would speak your very words, the very oracles of God. 
And she knows that's her job. And she is opening her heart and her mind to be a conduit of your wisdom. That wisdom that comes from heaven that's just pure. And Lord Jesus, I just ask that we would become really open receptacles, open vessels that we would take in your word and let it change us into who you made us to be, Lord. Every part of this day, Father God, may we be more open and a step closer to the plans you have for us, to the beautiful plans you have for us. And Lord Jesus, we just offer up the churches around us, Lord. I can't even, I I feel compelled to just pick them all. Lord, that your word would not only be spoken, Father, but taken in and change us. Amen. Amen. So we're in an Old Testament series as a church. We've spent several weeks in Genesis, then we did Exodus. So origins of man and the very first people who walked with the Lord, they're the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then God's people, the descendants of those guys who walked with God, have ended up in Egypt, right? Joseph um, led them there because that was God's answer for a season. And they camped in Egypt for far too long. Uh, God didn't tell them to stay, but they did. And then they ended up in slavery, right? And so then they were crying out to the Lord. And what did God do? What did God do for the Israelites who were captive in Egypt? Set them free. He did. How did he do it? Sent Moses, brought plagues, miracles, weird stuff. It's like a million-ish people left. (laughs) The dominant uh, society of the day, they just, in Australia we would say went bush. They just kind of like left (laughs) to the outback. Um, and so they're, they're on the move now, right? And the Red Sea opened and they went through and then they, they had tambourines apparently with them on their hike. And so <laughs> it's funny that that's what they packed, right? Oh, don't forget your tambourine. It might come in handy. So it just struck me right then that that's kind of funny. Um, So anyway, so they've been walking through the wilderness for three months. And so far, they've had miracle water when they were thirsty, miracle bread when they were hungry, miracle water again. And then they fought the Amaleks and defeated them, even though they were slaves, not an army. And they're seeing miracle, miracle, miracle. And now they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai. So this is the mountain where Moses met Yahweh in a burning bush. And they're back. Do you know why they're back? God said to Moses, you'll come back here as a sign. You'll be back here. See you soon. And so Moses has done what God said to do, brought the million-ish people with him. They're camping at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses is like, what's next? (laughs) What do I do with these people? What's next? You told me to do the thing. I did the thing, and now, hi, we're back. (laughs) We're looking for what's next. So that's where we're picking up. Um, We're going to read through Exodus fast. Are you ready? You got your, like, ready for it? Okay. 
Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God, Yahweh, I am. So I want to pause there for a second. So just remember that every time you read the word capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, when it's all caps, that is a, um, I don't know, euphemism, Kurt? How would we word that? It's like a, you know, we don't want to say Yahweh because that's a sacred word, except God never said, don't say my name. We're just going to put, put that out there. We were like, we probably shouldn't say his name. Let's call him like something else. Jehovah, that's where Jehovah came from. Um, but, you know, Yahweh literally means I am. So in our um, text today, as we read through, anytime it says the Lord, I put in Yahweh, I am. Okay, because that's his name, guys. We don't need to call him like, hey, God. God's like generic. It would be like calling your dog, dog, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Or calling you man or lady. Like, this is God's name is Yahweh. We can use it. It's his name, okay? So that's what we're doing. Yahweh, I am, called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob, announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Hey guys, I'm the God who brought you out. I'm the one that did all that stuff to Egypt. Here I am. You want to get to know me? Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. P.S. I'm the God of gods. I am the one. All of the earth belongs to me, and I'm choosing you. I'll be your God. Do you want to be my kids? That's what's happening. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people responded together. How many people? All. And how did they respond? Were they like half into it? No, they were like all the people responded together. Do you feel that? Like this is a million people. Right? This is all the people, the elders and the people. They said, read it with me, we will do everything Yahweh has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to Yahweh. Hey, this is good, right? He's like, I want to be your dad. And they're like, we want to do that too. Like we're in and we'll do everything you say. You say we have to obey, we will, we're in. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. This is not a far off God. This is not a silent, mystical God. This is a present God who wants people to know him. Yeah? We're learning about him as we go. Moses told Yahweh what the people had said. Then Yahweh told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Arrival. Okay? Something's about to change. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. This is interesting, isn't it? I'm coming, tell them to take a bath. Does God really care how stinky people are? Something, they're learning something, aren't they? They're learning something important. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Then, um, oh, I don't know what I did there. Friends, can you help me? I want to go backwards one more. Okay, forwards. 
that's weird. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. So they did everything, right? And, then they t- and he told them, get ready for the third day. Excellent. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. You guys remember that amazing lightning storm we had a couple of weeks ago? Was that not like, woo, so rare for what we have around here? So that's, imagine the people are at the bottom of the mountain and craziness starts to happen, okay? And a dense cloud came down on the mountain because they could see it, right? They're at the bottom of the mountain and they're watching it happen. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, it's random, because I'm like, was it a ram's horn? Or is that just the sound? Because does God have like a giant ram's horn? It's curious, right? There's something happening here that they can't quite, what is going on? And all the people trembled because this is weird. Moses led them out from the camp to, what? Meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. Feel it. Feel the bigness of this. These people have said, we want to be your people. And he's saying, let's meet. I want you to know me. Imagine what they were thinking. What did we agree to? (laughs) What is happening? Will this mountain fall on top of me? Yahweh came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am Yahweh, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. This is important. You want to have a relationship with the creator of everything? He can be your only God. We see that, right? Very clear. He even went into details. Why did he have to go into those details? Because all they know is Egyptian living. It's all they know. It's all they've ever known. 400 years in Egypt. That's a lot of generations, right? This is all they know. They have the stories of their forefathers worshipping a god, Yahweh, and they probably were still worshipping him as best they could in the confines of their slavery, right? And he's just saying to them, I've brought you out of a place that has multiple gods, and they carve things and they bow down to them. I'm telling you, that's not your path. I am the real God, and this is how you can connect with me, right? So this is good. This is life-changing for them. I'm going to skip that. Uh, But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey me. You must not misuse the name of Yahweh your God. Yahweh will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Sabbath, right? These are the Ten Commandments that we know. Yeah? So they have these. Oh, I don't know what's happening. I must have like weird... um, Transitions, thank you. 
You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not do all these things because these are the things that you've been taught are okay and they're not okay. Why? Because I am your God and you're learning to be my kids, right? None of these make me mad. We're fine. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. They're getting it aren't they? They're getting that this is a God that they have never met before. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. Ready? There they saw the God of Israel. Who? How many? Just Moses? Yeah, more than Moses. This is key for us to remember, okay? Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. They had a meal with God, face to face, and their eyeballs didn't burn up. Think about this. This is incredible. Then Yahweh I am said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I've inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Okay? This is like leaving a note for the babysitter. If, any, if we have any problems, talk to Aaron. I'm putting him in charge. Moses climbed the mountain and the cloud covered it so the people could see God's presence was still there. And the glory of Yahweh settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, Yahweh called to Moses from inside the cloud. That would have been an intense six days for Moses, just being in God's presence without him really speaking. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of Yahweh appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain, and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, are we good? So... He's given an invitation, they said yes, and then he said, great, let's talk about the details. The rest of Exodus are um, more laws, talking about his holiness and how not to be stuck in that slavery Egyptian mindset, right? And that's the rest of Exodus, there's a lot going on in there. Um, and then right at the end, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Okay, so... Exodus 31, so we've skipped forward through all of those laws and rules, okay? There's a lot of them. And here we are. You ready? Are you tracking with me? I'm getting the eyebrows from Becca. That was good. When Yahweh finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. This blows my mind that God was like, I wrote some notes for you. Here they are. Imagine the glory of God in those tablets. <laughs> like, it's crazy to me. We don't get it, do we? 
When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron because Moses said, if you have any problems, talk to Aaron, right? So they're totally doing the right thing. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. What? What? Yes, God, we say yes to you all together. We say we will do what you say. We're so excited to be your kids. This is awesome. Hey, Aaron, will you make us some gods who could lead us? This is craziness. The glory of God, a consuming fire, is still burning in front of their eyes. What in the world? Okay. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Yeah, he's still in the cloud. Like, (laughs) this is, man, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, dude, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Aaron, he's like, I got an idea. I totally know what to do. This is exciting. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Rewind. These are the laws I'm giving you. Have no other God before me, and do not make for yourself any image of anything on earth or in heaven, or bow down to it, or... We're just going right to the top. They're not even trying to disobey like one of the little tiny laws about... I don't know, ditches and heifers, right? They're like going right to the top. Let's just go straight in and disobey like the first thing he said. This sounds good. It's a good plan. I'm feeling really good about that consuming fire up there. I don't think he'll mind at all. Aaron saw how excited the people were. Man, (laughs) this is why it's so important that we don't trust in other humans. Because if you think you're doing a great thing and all the people around you are excited and you're like, it totally must be the God then because people are into it. It's probably not. You know what I'm saying? So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, you guys, tomorrow will be a festival to Yahweh. Do you remember the next law? Do not use my name in vain. Do you reckon that would be that? I made a cow. I'm calling him Yahweh. Let's have a festival. That's what just what happened. Like, it's crazy. The people got up early because they were so excited to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and rose up to play. Oh, we love our little gold cow god. It's the best. Yahweh told Moses, quick, go down to the mountain. Check the wording on this. Your people, Moses, clearly not my people, Because my people said they wanted to obey my commands and have a covenant with me. So your people whom you brought out of Egypt, suddenly it's Moses' fault. Well, if God had brought them out, do you know what I'm saying? Like this this is a moment, isn't it? Have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses, 
couldn't even function at this point. I mean, imagine. They did, they did what? <laughs> what in the world? 40 days and 40 nights, and it all went to crap. Great. So Moses is like, great, I'll go talk to them. So, guys, um, we're going to move into a sound video. I don't know if I told you that. Um, the people said yes, but follow with me here. They'd been out of Egypt for about three months, 40 days and 40 nights, right? And they had directly seen God and had dinner with him, but they didn't have roots. They just didn't. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and done waiting. And they reverted back to their old ways. Man, we all need a God to lead us, don't we? Aren't we all looking for some leadership and direction? We're looking for this, Pascal, that great mathematician said, there's a God-shaped hole in, of, in us. And we're all being drawn to something that will lead us. And if God doesn't come through because he's, I don't know what, partying with Moses and doesn't even care about us anymore, we see the lights and the disco balls. We know that you don't even care about us, right? Let's make for ourselves a God who can lead us. You guys, I do this. I do this all the time, and here's how it happens for me. My branches are out of control, I have no time, and so I'm like, I will Google an answer for this problem I'm having, and I read it, and then I like call a friend, and then I, <laughs> you know, Facebook ads already read my mind, so it's already selling me things I need, and, um, <laughs> and then I do it, and I move on to the next branch that's on fire. You know what I'm saying? And I do it and I do it and I find solutions and I'm making a way because I am smart. I'm experienced. I have a lot in my toolbox. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't actually need to ask Jesus which color socks to wear. Or whether to put socks on. Or whether to get out of bed. I don't have to ask God whether to get out of bed right? We don't need to do that. So we need to ask God what to eat for breakfast. Do you, know, you know, there's things I can do, right? Do I really need to ask God how to get my kids into the car without yelling at them? I don't know. Michelle, I rebuke that. And just kidding. <laughs> she said yes. Yeah, no, you're right. But you know what I'm saying, guys? Things get very busy, I have a lot of tradition to draw from, I have education, I have experience. You know what I mean? I love Enneagram, it's such a great tool. I love all the things, I love all the tools. But there's a point at which I am neglecting my roots and just melting some earrings down and going about my day. Do you know what I'm saying? So I understand what's happening here. And thank God for his mercy and his grace. Because does he just consume them with fire and be done with them? No. No, he keeps walking with them and he keeps walking with us, doesn't he? What a good, merciful, incredible God. So at the end of Exodus, there's more that happens after this. And then at the end of Exodus, he says... I'm going to give you instructions to build a tent that's going to hold my presence. Oh, they didn't know what they were getting that day. Like an actual tent with his presence? Like the creator of everything? 
is going to pull some of his presence onto earth and let it sit there in the midst of these crappy cow-loving people? Do you know what I mean? Isn't he incredible that his holiness would sit in the middle of where they lived? And guys, we are now those tents. This is such an important story for us. And now we move into Leviticus. Do I need to click again, guys, or you got it? The book of Leviticus. We know you've been avoiding it because it's weird. So let's fix that. Now remember, the story of the Bible began with humans in God's presence, but they were banished because of their rebellion. However, God wants to be in relationship with us, so he chooses one family that he will use to restore the world back into his presence. And so God's presence comes to dwell in a tent right in the middle of Israel. And that's great. But it creates a problem because it's so intense that Moses can't go in and other priests who enter inappropriately, they die. Well, wait, if God's presence is good, how is it all of a sudden dangerous for people? So think of it this way. God's presence is like the sun. It's pure power and goodness. And when something mortal and corruptible gets close to such pure power, it's destroyed. And so the word holiness is used in Leviticus to describe God's pure and powerful presence, which, like the sun, is both good and dangerous. So the point of Leviticus is to show how corrupt Israelites can live near God's goodness without being destroyed. Now, in the book, there are three ways for how this is all going to work out, and these are going to seem strange to you, but just hang in there with us. The first one is rituals. The second is this idea of the priesthood, and the third is a bunch of purity laws. Now, the book is broken up into seven sections, and each solution is explored in two sections of the book. The rituals are here, the priests are here, and the purity laws go here. Now, the first solution, rituals, involves a lot of animal sacrifices. And so Leviticus begins with detailed instructions for how to make these sacrifices. Some are ways of saying thank you to God, and others are simply ways of saying I'm sorry. And here, at the end of the book, there are some more rituals. These are about observing sacred days and festivals. They're all celebrations that retell some part of the story of how God rescued Israel and set them apart from the nations. The second solution to the holiness problem has to do with priests. You see, being directly in God's presence is really dangerous. So he appoints priests as special representatives who can go into his presence on behalf of others. So in this section, we have a story about how the priests are ordained into the priesthood. And then this other section explains the set of higher standards that the priests have to live by because they work so closely to God's presence. The third solution in the book is all about purity laws. And this is by far the hardest thing to understand. For example, in this section, we're really concerned with knowing whether you're clean or unclean. Or another way of saying that is being pure and impure. And here's what we need to know to understand this. When you're in a pure state, you can be near God's presence. When you're in an impure state, you can't. And so it was really important for Israelites to know what state they're in at any given moment. So the first thing, 
we have is a list of pure and impure animals. Yeah, this list of animals is divided up by where they live. So on the land, in the sea, in the air. And the text is just not clear about why certain animals are impure or why touching or eating them makes you impure. What is clear, however, is that avoiding these creatures will set Israel apart. And it will remind them that God's own holiness should affect every part of their lives, including what they eat. After the food laws, we get a lot of random rules uh, about things like skin disease, touching dead bodies, what to do with bodily fluids. But they're not random. All of these are things that the Israelites associated with life and death, which are sacred things because God is the author of life. Okay, but simply coming into contact with these things makes you impure? They do, but we have to keep in mind that it's not wrong or sinful to be ritually impure. You just wait a few days, take a bath, offer sacrifice, and you're pure again. What is inappropriate is entering into God's presence when you're in an impure state. Now, there's more purity laws over here in this section. Yeah, these focus on Israel's moral behavior. So these are laws about social justice, healthy relationships, having sexual integrity. Living by these laws will make Israel into a morally pure people who can live near God's presence. Those are the three solutions. Now, you probably noticed that they surround the very center of this book. And it's here that we find a really important ritual called the Day of Atonement. Yeah, so Israel's a big tribe now, and odds are there's a lot of sin happening that goes unnoticed that people are not dealing with. And so one time a year, the priests would take two goats, and one of those goats is killed, and its blood is carried right into God's presence where it symbolically covers or atones for Israel's sin. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Well, the meaning of the sacrifice is explained in the next chapter, where God says that the blood of a creature is its life. And so this goat's life is offered as a substitute. It's receiving God's punishment for Israel's sin so that the people don't have to. That leaves the second goat. Yeah, the priest puts his hands on it, and then he confesses all the sins of Israel. It's like he's placing the sins on the goat. And then that goat gets cast out forever into the wilderness. It's called the scapegoat. Yeah, I've heard that word before. Yeah, it's this very powerful image of how God is graciously removing Israel's sin. But let's be honest, sacrifices in general seem so barbaric. We have to remember that in the ancient world, sacrifices were the main way of buying favor from the gods. But the problem was that those same gods, they're unpredictable, they're fickle, you never know if they're going to ignore you or they're going to turn on you. And so it's in this cultural setting that we see Israel's God as totally different. He does get angry about human corruption, but it is never arbitrary. And he loves people. So he provides this clear way for Israel to know with confidence that they are forgiven and that despite their corruption, they are safe to live near his presence. And so that makes the book of Leviticus actually a revolutionary statement in its day. Aren't those videos amazing? You know, you can watch them at BibleProject.com and they're on YouTube as well. Um, that one to me is full of so much rich symbolism and importance that every time I watch it, I'm like, I want to watch this again. <laughs> I want to catch some more things. It's just so rich. But for today, there's two things that um, stand out to me. One is, he said that Leviticus shows us that God's holiness should affect every part of our lives. I think that's really important for us. When we think about our branches, 
what are the things in your branches? These roles, these hats that you wear, the things that you do, school, work, relationships, you know what I'm saying? God's holiness is meant to affect all of those things. We're not meant to self-lead, craft gods for any of it. The second thing is that, (laughs) I loved this, God loves his people and gives them a way to live in his presence. And so, sacrifices. However, we don't practice sacrifices anymore, do we? Sundays would be interesting, wouldn't it, if we all sat here and watched Kurt pay for our sins. Why don't we do sacrifices anymore? It's that one answer that everyone's like, don't give that answer. This is actually when you get to give it. Jesus! With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. He bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives, inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that now we can live all out for God. Life was consumed with sacrifices. Now Jesus did all that and we can live all out for God. Isn't that beautiful? So then, it's done. Cool. Right? We can just do whatever we want. Jesus' blood covers it. And Leviticus is like a nice old tale that we can remember the old ways. Is that true? If Jesus took care of it, Why does Leviticus matter anymore? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, why do any of them matter anymore? Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. You knew that was the answer, didn't you? Don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever God you craft, you are a slave of it, right? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Remember that word righteous means right standing, standing right side up. Right? Able to walk with God. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey <laughs> this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So the law still is important. Jesus freed us from the consequences of the law, right? The constant need for sacrifices. Jesus freed us from that. But the holiness of God still is a thing, right? The heart of the law continues, right?
what Jesus has done is made us actually able to do it. We don't actually need to live in dread all the time that maybe we broke a law anymore, right? Because humans couldn't do it. That's the point of the law, is to show us that humans can't actually be holy enough to be in relationship with God. That's why we needed Jesus. It wasn't that they were like, you know what, Peter and all that, let's not keep killing animals. Let's like kill a human and then call it good. That's not how it went down. You know what I'm saying? This was Jesus, the pure lamb, fulfilling the requirements of the law. Okay. You ready? Let's talk practically about this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am Yahweh, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Can we talk about this one? So this is the one that they like screwed up, and this is the one that we screw up a lot. And this still exists, right? Jesus' death and resurrection setting us free, does it change this law? Can you have many gods? Say it with passion. No. How many gods can we have? So the law still stands. Right? Okay. Um, This is really hard. I've already said I do this. This is really, really hard. So, last week, I was all prepped to preach a sermon, and only my Father God knows the cost of what it takes for me to prep a sermon, because I have a million branches. (laughs) I have so many branches. Like humans I have to keep alive. I've talked about this before, right? So for me to actually get time to hear him and press in and get it right and feel like, because guys, every time I preach, I am very aware that I am speaking on behalf of the creator of everything. And he could swallow me up into the earth at any second, right? And whatever I say out loud, I will have to give an account for. It's terrifying, Okay, so it's not like I'm like, oh, prep a little sermon. I don't care if it's right or wrong. It is, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's serious business for me. So I come last week and then worship goes on and I'm like, this is cool, you know? And then Kurt said something and I was like, oh, now I'm offended. So here's what happened. <laughs> he said, you know, isn't it important that we put our plans aside and do what the Holy Spirit wants to do? And I was like, my plans? wait, was the Holy Spirit not a part of me sermon prepping all week long? Because that's terrifying. But now the Holy Spirit turned up. Well, the Holy Spirit didn't turn up. The Holy Spirit is here all the time unless your tents are empty and then you're the problem. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, true? So when we come to worship the Lord, does the Holy Spirit show up? No, he's here. What he did last week in worship, he would love to do every week. Every week. Come ready for that, right? Right? So as soon as, Kurt, and that was not Kurt's heart, you guys know Kurt's heart, he wasn't saying that sermons are not full of the Holy Spirit, but you know, clearly I had a branch that was on fire, and so I sat there and I was like, I worship God, you are the God of all things, you and you alone, you can do whatever you want with me, anything, you can have me prep a sermon and never use it, I am okay, except that was really rude, 
that you would take my week and screw me over like this. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do for, like all the time that I took away from my kids, God? What kind of God? I, no, you are God. You are God. I love you. You can do whatever you want. Except not this, because you've hurt my feelings, right? So, and then people were joking afterwards, that's the best sermon you've ever given. No one to be like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, <laughs> you know who you are. It was multiple people. I was like, it's so funny when the joke's over and over, and I'm like, don't cry. Pull it together. Um, so, you know, and then Kurt called me the next day, and he's like, so, you know, God did a great thing. And, and I go, yeah, no, totally, totally. I'm just talking to him about it because he and I have to have a direct relationship about it. And, and some other friends were like, it's good, God's good. And I was like, I know, I know, thank you so much. Stop talking. Please stop talking to me <laughs> about it. Because I needed to push my roots down into God instead of focusing on the branch. You know what I mean? And all the conversations were branch conversations. And it was from people who are so like walking with the Lord, and it was so good and beautiful, and it was not helpful at all. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Has that ever happened to you? Preach, right, Zach? You're like, yes. So I called my friend who is gifted in prayer counseling because I knew she wouldn't give me an opinion. I knew she wouldn't say, that's got to be rough, or you know God is good. Like, she wouldn't give me that. She just said, let's pray. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. It was like an hour. Her kids were screaming in the background. Mine are too. But we like pushed in, you know. Um, and, and it was so good because I heard from the Lord about some branch issues from my past, about not trusting authority and being humiliated publicly as a kid in school. Like it, it went so deep into my life. And I, who would have thought that's what was going on in me? But God like sets us free layer by layer. And if that hadn't happened last week, that freedom would never have come. So he's good, right? Even in the pain and in the hard, right? So then Kurt's like, so you wanna preach this week? And I was like, no, thank you. Cause why would I go through this again? <laughs> And even this morning, he goes, hey, Justine, I'm going to change things up a little bit. And I'm like, I'm not preaching, am I? Okay, good. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> but you guys, we cling to the things of our branches, don't we? Like, like I said, I want to be a great wife and a great friend and a great parent. And I want to be all of those things. But it is hard and exhausting. And there's too many resources. And let me say this. It's all a crapshoot. You know the book that was published right now and it's like, yes, this is the way to parent your children? In six months, it's gonna be debunked. It's a crapshoot. You think training certain things that will get you like that promotion at work. You're like, if I could just do this course, I'll get that promotion at work. That is not what this is about. Either God is your God or you are your God crafting solutions for yourself. Now, if you go to the Lord and say, I wanna have a promotion at work, I wanna provide for my family well, I really wanna walk forward in this, Father, what are the keys to that? And then he tells you to take that course, there you go. See the difference? It's whether we craft it ourselves or he tells us to do it, right? Does that make sense? So. <laughs> We just have to stop and ask Jesus for help. It's really simple. Really, really simple. Now, that moment is simple. Actually, walking in it is very complex. But that's why we have Jesus. He is our helper. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. 
He is our live-in presence of God guide. And that's what marks us as a holy people. Now, Christians are not just people who follow rules. Because without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit, those laws look like legalism and judgment, don't they? Because you can live out those Ten Commandments, baby, to like the nth degree and still have zero relationship with the living God. Right? So we do not put laws for first, but laws are part of our lives. We cannot say, I walk with God, but you know what? I don't really like reading the Bible because that is a major root, <laughs> major. If you struggle to read the Bible, please talk to me or somebody else that you trust and say, I don't know how to read the Bible in a way that gives me life. Do you have any resources? And ask God, teach my brain to understand your word. <laughs> Help me, God. I want that root in my life. Do a devotional study on the Ten Commandments and consider the branches. You don't have to steal because he's your provider. You don't have to covet because he'll fill your life with amazing things. You know what I'm saying? Like These laws are our roots that connect us to him. Exodus and Leviticus and the rest of the law books are treasures for us. They show us how to not be slave-minded anymore and how to walk as God's people, full of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus. Does that sound good? I want to be strong, you guys. I want to stand against storms. I want to be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want to be abundant. I want to be that oak tree. And the solution, there's only one, it's roots down and life that springs up from it. So we're doing this Old Testament series. Today's the end of Leviticus, and it is a call to you. It's a call to me. Stop melting earrings. Stop crafting solutions for yourself. Your Father God wants to be your God. He's inviting you to be his children, right? Let's put our roots down into him. Does that sound good? Okay. It's getting hot in here. Let's pray before we fall asleep. <laughs> Ready? Let's invite God to be our God again. Yahweh. I can't even believe you put yourself in a tent for people. I can't even believe that you would put your presence in my life. And I can't even believe that I would choose earrings over you. Father, make us people with deep roots. God, give us the focus and the energy to be people of your word. Train our minds to understand you, Lord. Let us be people who have abundant life that springs out of you. God, put things in our life that offend us and draw us back to roots. Chop off the branches that are consuming our energy. God, do whatever you need to do to make us your people. We say yes. All together we say yes. We wanna be your people and we accept what that means. Make us pure, make us holy like you, God that we would walk on this planet and people would encounter your presence. God, in each of our lives, 
the schools, the workplaces, the families, all of the scenarios in this room, that Your presence would fill our lives and transform. God, we're desperate for Your presence. We refuse to worship idols and we trust You, God. These are the decrees, regulations, and instructions that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai as evidence of the relationship between Himself and Israelites. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will live among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck. So now you can walk with your heads held high. That is that strong oak life. Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Let's take communion, guys.